Well, hello, wherever you're joining us from around the world. This is week number three in our series called Here I Stand. It's a series teaching about foundational Christian truths. We, if you remember what we said in our first week, as Christians, we grow through the basics, not away from them. We don't grow from them, we grow through them. So we must always, all of our Christian lives, have some time allocated to studying basic Christian truths. In our first week, we looked at creation. And we saw, I believe, that the universe as we currently see it was created, you know, complete. When God made Adam, for example, I don't believe he made a baby. I don't believe Adam was a baby. I don't think Eve was a baby. I reckon they were probably maybe 30 to 33 years old. And I would say that because that's, you know, approximately the age at which Jesus died. And he paid the price for us as the human race. So I believe Adam and Eve were made complete, ready to go. I believe the universe was stretched out. So when scientists argue about light taking 100 million years to reach from Alpha Centauri to the Earth or whatever, the, the, the argument is illogical in my mind because of the Scriptures. The Scripture tells me that God stretched out the universe. In other words, He made it complete so the light from that star was already reaching the Earth. And the question then becomes not, would it take 100 million years or whatever, the answer to the, would it? Yes, it would. But did it take a hundred? No, it didn't, because it was made complete. I hope you understand the difference there. It's a difference I wish uh, National Geographic and the Discovery Channel would, <laughs> would discover. Amen. So we looked in our first week at creation. We looked in our second week at God. Who is he? And that's a real sensitive topic in my mind, because we're talking about our creator. We need to have a lot of respect um, you know, uh, and honor when we bring up the subject of who God is. This is our third week. And today we're going to move on to what the Bible really presents to us as the third issue. And this is important. The Bible starts by talking about creation. And then it starts by telling us a little bit about God. Then a little bit about man. And then and only then do we come to Jesus. There, there's an order there. And it's an order that we are, you know, foolish to walk away from. First of all, Genesis, uh, uh, creation, sorry, in Genesis. Then it tells us about God. Then it tells us about man and then Jesus. Part of the problem with a lot of our evangelism is we start with Jesus. And the Bible doesn't start there. It, it starts where I personally needed to start. It was one of my first questions evangelistically. I wanted to know about creation. And that's exactly where Genesis begins. So we start in Genesis and we look at creation. Then we look at God and who God is, which is what we've done. Now we're looking at man, and later we will come to Jesus, because without the fall of man, we actually wouldn't have needed Jesus. He wouldn't have had to come. So our question today, very simple question, who and what is man? And in fact, let's begin in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Okay, you know the story, I know the story. God made man in his image. He was different from the animals. The animals were not made in God's image, but man was. Now, we know what happened. Man lost that image, and unfortunately, 
You know, Adam may have been born with the image of God, you know, pressed upon him. But unfortunately, since the fall of Adam, everybody born after him looks a bit more like the devil than they do look like God. So all the descendants of Adam were born lost because of the fall. But if we get saved, that image is restored. And that's what I want to touch on with this particular first point, that man has been made in God's image. That word image, what does it mean? What does it mean that I am made in man's image? What form do images come in? Well, let me just take two for an example. Say you pick up an old, old coin, a Roman coin, and on that Roman coin is impressed the image of the emperor of that time, say Nero. Now, he's long since dead, but his image remains on the coin. It may be tarnished, it may be worn, it may be scratched. You may barely recognize it, but the image is still there, representing some form of former glory. That's one type of dead image, if you like. And that's the lost, you see. They have a, a type of image of Christ, of God Almighty, upon them. But there's another type of image, and it, it's the type that you get when you look in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, you need to be alive to see that image. It's a living reflection, a dynamic thing. And really, when in Genesis it says that man was made in God's image, it represents both of these forms, the dead form. That when you look at a human being, when they can be so depraved, it's a sad sight because you know that that person was once upon a time made for a much more glorious end than this. Amen? But also, I thank God that there are many instances where we look at people and we do see the glory of God within them. Now, let me just state my opinion in regards to this. I would see the manifestation of the image of God in a Christian as operating at three different levels, or four different levels if you want to take in the basic level of the, the coin type level, just a human level. But after that, there would be three levels of glory, if you like. The, the first one being the radiance. The second one being the glorification of, of, of a person when the glory comes upon them. And the third one being transfiguration. So I would almost, this is just my opinion, but from what I've seen, from what I've experienced, I've seen at a basic level, the radiance of the Holy Ghost of God upon someone. I remember watching songs of praise on television when I was a child, and there was a young child in Romania, I think it was, held up to the camera. And man, the radiance was on that child. That's the Holy Spirit. You'll also see some people where God begins to work with their flesh, and there's a, a kind of an aura about them. If you like, the glory is upon them. But the highest level of the image of God coming upon someone is the transfiguration. And this is not so much the Holy Spirit as Christ himself. When they are transfigured, like the Mount of Transfiguration. When a person's, a, a Christian dies to self, they die to their flesh. And you can almost see, you know, the, the living reflection of Christ in that person. Now, I haven't seen this very often, and it's not mentioned in the Bible very often. There was the Mount of Transfiguration, and Paul says that we are transformed. You know, he, he, he mentions that in a few places. However, ironically, my, my own wife, Jeanette, one day when she was doing me an, an enormous sacrifice, a great, great sacrificial act, on for me because of her love for me and and she blessed me and I remember as she did that I turned round sort of to say thank you for that and as I looked at her she was transfigured not the radiance 
of the Holy Ghost as such. You see, I, I've seen Christ. I've seen an image. I've seen Christ appear before me. I, I was in a church. I was having a very difficult time. That church had rejected me as such. And I sat one night just having communion in that fellowship, not knowing what to do, whether I should leave or stay or whatever. And as I sat there, I thank God Jesus appeared in front of me. He was ahead of me. And he was looking over his shoulder and beckoning me to come on. But I'll never forget his face, you see. I have seen that face and I, I, I would recognize that anywhere. You know the Savior when you see him. And that same face, it's an Arabic face, you see. He's Jewish. He's from that part of the world. And that same face, I would recognize anywhere. And when Jeanette did that act for me, that act of kindness, she transfigured before me. And I realized it was my Savior again this time working through people, in people, someone who had died to self, cast off any, you know, uh, um, desire for their own self and had been transformed into the likeness of Christ. And again, you'll see that Paul points that out over and over again. So the image of God then is in mankind. And it's a bit like a cloudy day when you know the sun is there, but you just can't see it. But every now and again, the clouds open. And the sun shines through. And you see that Christ does live in people. And even the darkest of people, amen, have moments of light. So my first point today is that we are made in the image of God. My second point is, is actually found in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7. The second point is to explain to us that we are made in third place. When we're born as human beings into this world, in the order of created things, or in the, in the order of things, rather, we come third. Hebrews chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 6. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. See that? Now this is telling us our standing in the order of created things, angels being created also. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. I want you to begin to understand something here. Um, D David said this. He said, in sin did my mother conceive me. He wasn't saying that sex was a sin as some people would take it. He was simply explaining that there is a thing that we call original sin in the human race. And that is what he was talking about. In sin did my mother conceive me. Because of this sin in the human race, we are born as descendants of Adam a little lower than the angels. Now, I have my own theory as to why that is, because sin in itself did not originate with mankind. Of course, Eve's sin and Adam's sin is what we term the original sin, and we're born with that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the very first sin. That wasn't man. That was an angel. That was an angel that we know the story. It was an angel called Lucifer who was before the throne of grace, before the throne of God. Uh, we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. And that angel was cast down upon the earth. God, you know, cast Lucifer out of the heavenly realms because he sinned. Now, man then became deceived by Satan, whose, you know, Lucifer's name was changed to Satan. He was cast upon the earth and man was deceived. So the original, the real original sin, if you like, was not man. And to me, this, there's quite a distinction here because grace is not available to fallen angels. Grace 
and mercy are only available to mankind. Angels that have fallen cannot get saved. I believe that's because sin originated with them. It was the real original sin. Yes, we're accountable for our sin. And yes, we now sin by choice after being deceived by the serpent. But God has mercy upon us because he didn't, you know, it's, it's, it's not his choice that any man should perish. And so grace is available to us. But Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7 spells out to us the order of things. God, of course, is supreme in, in, in all order. He's not created. He's the I am, the God who has always been. And, but then when he comes to the order of created things, he says that angels are the highest in the order of created things. Mighty beings, awesome beings, huge beings indeed. So God, angels, man, and animals, and plant life. And you can go on and on and on. Now, I, I, sorry for saying this, but I've seen an angel, you see. I see things. It's part of what God's blessing on my life, I suppose, and it helps me so much with ministry. It helps me to minister, helps me explain things. But one day I was having a very difficult time with a church, <laughs> and I was really upset, really vexed, couldn't sleep, lying in bed. It was a dark night, I remember. I just lay there, and the curtains were open. It was dark, and I was lying, and I was very worried. And I, in that worried state... God opened my spiritual eyes somehow and I saw the most huge angel you can ever imagine. I think it was Michael, to be honest with you, because this was, remember the angel, the archangels had three different functions. Gabriel was a messenger angel who came back and forward to the earth. Michael was a warrior angel in the heavenly realms and Lucifer was a praise and worship angel. And this angel I saw was dressed in full armor, sword, shield. I mean, just enormously equipped, you know. But I, I tell you, if you took the earth and compared it to the size of the angel I saw, the earth wouldn't even be a speck of dust on that angel's, you know, shoe. That's how big that thing was. And I lay in my bed and my eyes were open just for a second and I suddenly realized... What on earth am I worried about? <laughs> because I've got the, you know, the armies of heaven behind me. And I turn over and go to sleep, you know. So I've seen angels. And when God says that we are lower than the angels, that's really what he's, he's getting at. Angels still have awesome power, mighty power. Remember, when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, he didn't lose his power. He still has power. What he lost was his authority. There's a difference, a big difference. He lost his authority before God, right? But he didn't lose his power. He's still a powerful being. And the scripture warns us of this. In fact, it's in Ezekiel chapter 28. I'll read it to you. Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 12, part B. It talks about verse, Ezekiel 28, verse 12, part B. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Who was in Eden? Satan was in Eden. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz, and emerald, and chrysolite, and onyx, and jasper, and sapphire, and turquoise, and beryl. These are the things in heaven. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, he's a created being, he's an angel. They were pre prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways. This is not talking about Jesus. This is talking about an angel, a created being. 
You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created. Till wickedness, till, uh, till wickedness was found in you, through your way, and then on and on it goes. You became uh, in verse seventeen. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. You see, Jesus one day when he was walking around, he turned to the crowd and he said, I saw Satan fall out of the heaven and be cast down upon the earth. Now, remember, the angels had three different distinct functions. Gabriel, a messenger angel going back and forward in the earth to, to, to men and other things. Right? Michael, a warrior angel, a fighter. But Lucifer had really that central position, not higher in rank to the other archangels. Same in rank, but very different in function. And the scripture puts it like this. He was ever before the throne. That's what made him different. He was ever before the throne. So we don't understand fully how that happened, but sin somehow was found in Lucifer. And God changed his name to Satan and cast him down upon the earth. Now, I, I need you to understand this because it has a very, you know, a, a, a knock-on consequence for mankind. Because the, there's now a vacancy in heaven. There's now a vacancy in heaven before the throne of God. Uh, before the throne of God. Michael is still in his place as a warrior angel. Gabriel is still in his place as a messenger angel. But the worship before the throne of God has been diminished somewhat. So this is where man comes in. And if you read on in the book of Hebrews, and I advise you to do that, read the book of Hebrews in light of what I'm sharing with you. And you will see right there that God has a higher place for man. It goes on to say that man one day, not in this life, but in the next, man will take the highest, he, he will become the highest being in all created things. Right? So man is destined to fulfill that role of, of worship before God. But there's a restoration process which is well and truly underway. We're born in sin, original sin. Man also sinned, not just the devil. We are guilty of our own sin. We must repent of that sin. And when we do, the restoration process begins. We become not like a, an old coin that had some image of some dead glory, some past glory. But the true image of God, the radiance of Christ, comes back upon us. We become a new creation, a new coin, if you like. And there's a living, uh, like a, a mirror-like reflection of Christ seen in us, and we are restored to our authority on the earth. I just want you to see that. Another very important point for us to remember about angels and everything else is we, we don't order around the angelic realm. That's God's responsibility. You are not in charge of angels. They are higher creatures at this time than you. Moses, in Numbers chapter 20, when he ran into trouble, he didn't call on angels. He called on God. And God sent angels. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, when, he got into, when they got into trouble, they didn't call on angels. They called on God. And God himself sent angels. In the, when the church in the book of Acts... When they, when they were in trouble, they didn't call on angels. They called on God, and it was God who ordered the angels what to do. You see, there's a little bit of a problem, I think, with a lot of modern-day Pentecostals, and I'm a Pentecostal. A little bit of a problem, though, because I've heard many in prayer, and they will be praying something like this. You know, Lord, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to us. We as Pentecost, you know, we can pray. We've got all authority uh, on, on the earth. 
Now, just hold on a second, folks. There is only one individual person, the man Christ Jesus, who has all authority anywhere. Jesus said this, all authority in heaven, right? The first, second, the first half, heaven, second heaven, third heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. So he is the one with all authority. And he gives, yes he does, he gives certain amounts of authority to certain people in certain ministries at certain times. But I think often that gets, you know, pushed much, much, much too far. In Luke chapter 9, um, Jesus says this, Luke chapter 9 verse 1, When Jesus had called together the twelve, so this is not a statement to everyone, this is a statement to the twelve. When Jesus had called together the twelve, he gave them power and authority, both, to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So here's the one who has all authority, who is Jesus Christ, apportioning part of his authority, right, down onto men. And in this case, it was the 12 apostles. And you who are listening, no doubt God will trust you with some authority. Now, if you misuse that authority, he'll take it back of you. But you can tell when someone has spiritual authority. That's something God has given to them. Now, understand, get this picture in your mind of the spirit realm. In, in, in days gone by in the Eastern world, they fully understood what Paul was talking about whenever Paul said, I know a man who was taken up into the third heaven and he's not allowed to you know, tell the story of what he saw when he was there. When Paul said that, the, the, the Eastern mindset knew what he was talking about because they had a clear understanding of it. The third heaven is where God dwells, right? And no man has ever seen that. The third heaven is heaven as we think of it. The second heaven is space. It's what we see beyond our world. It's what is out there. And that's where angels war. That's where Michael, Gabriel, and Satan and all that, that's where the angels fight. We call it war in the heavenlies. That's a different realm. So there's the third heaven Paul speaks of. There's the second heaven, which is the angelic realm. And that's the realm that Christians do not have authority in. Then there is the realm of the earth. Now, the earth, man does have authority in, but not over angels. You, you just read it in Matthew chapter, in Luke chapter 9. We have authority on the earth over demons and spirits. These are different things. It seems to me the lowest level of authority demonically is a spirit. Then you've got demons. Then you've got principalities, powers, rulers. And eventually you get all the way up to the angelic realm, which is God's area to deal with. Are you with me? So we do have certain authority on earth. Just like in the church, you've got apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, levels of authority. So in the demonic kingdom, there are also levels of authority. And I could spend forever on this subject because it's, it's a very interesting subject. But I keep myself, hopefully, as best I can within my authority. The, um, in fact, let, 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 let me just show you this in Scripture. Jude, verse 7. Jude Verse 7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah, the surrounding towns, gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as, as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. You see, Jude is telling us that we don't have the right to speak into the celestial realm, the angelic realm. But, and then it says in verse 9, Jude verse 9, 
But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men, speaking abusively whatever they do not understand, um, and what things they do understand by instinct, like re unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Now Jude, and in fact I'll go back just two or three books to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 10 to 12. He says the same thing, the Apostle Peter. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Listen to the description of people who war against angels. They are bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Again, same thing, the angelic realm. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of God. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And on and on he goes there. Now, you understand, maybe you have not encountered people like that, but I have. And I'll tell you what I think. He's talking, both Jude and Peter are talking about a particular type of Pentecostal type Christian. They backslide. They go into the world, right? They're gone for six months. And when they come back into the church, they come back in, they've repented of their sin, they come back in very often with arrogance. And they want to take on Satan. They they've, they've got no understanding, no rock understanding of the Word of God. And they start attacking the devil and all sorts of things, and then they go off and backslide again. I, I, I know people like this, I've encountered people like this, and Peter is right. Jude is right. They don't know what they're talking about or what they're dabbling in. I had one such couple in our in one church I pastored and they were not a good couple they were a very weak couple actually uh, um, the husband was not a good leader of the home and the wife was arrogant and all those things that Peter describes there and one day in a in a quite a cocky way he said to me we're going to go home and we're going to bind Satan he was you know inferring that I wasn't doing my job right and and I they they were going to go and do it and as he left I remember I, I called him up later that day and I said you know what please don't do that because you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And he just didn't want to know. He was scoffing at me, you know. But a few hours go by, and then the same man rings up again, and he tells me what has happened in their home. He said they went home, they started to bind Satan, and his wife fell into an epileptic fit, which scared him greatly. But as he went to tend to her, he vomited. And it's just a horrific story, you know, but they were crying for help. You see, they didn't know the realm they were getting into. It was the angelic realm, which the scriptures forbid them to. You have authority on earth, as it has been apportioned you by Christ. And I advise you to go to your pastor and get agreement of what authority you actually have in the spirit realm. We are on earth. The church has authority over spirits and demons and indeed principalities and powers. But the angelic realm is forbidden. At best, the archangel Michael said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And you know why? Because as I said in the beginning, Michael and Lucifer were on the same level, as was Gabriel. These are peers. These are creatures of equal power, not authority, but power. So when Michael saw Satan or whatever, who's a fallen angel, a fallen archangel, Michael did not try and take him on because they have equal power. Rather, he says, the Lord rebuke you. So I know that's all quite involved there, but at some point in our lives we need to see where we stand and who we are in Christ. 
Who is man? That's our question today. Who is man? Man is made in the image of God. That's who man is. He is born, so that's the first point. Second point, he is born at best into third place whilst he lives on this earth. But he has a destiny. And that destiny is a cosmic destiny, if you like. It's one day that we will take the place from which Lucifer fell. We will take a, the place of eternal praise and eternal worship of the Lord our God. And everyone out there listening to this particular broadcast, you have two, uh, one of two destinies. Either you're going to perish like the coin. You're, the image of God will eventually be rubbed off. It will be completely erased so that no one can recognize you anymore. You know, I, 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 I worked with heroin addicts for many years and countless parents would come to me when their son or daughter had been ravaged by, uh, you know, drug addiction and methadone and heroin and cocaine. And some of the things those drugs do is they rot your teeth and you lose a lot of weight. And the children who were so beautiful become so marked and disfigured and destroyed with, with rotten teeth and no weight on their bones at all. And many a parent would sit with us in prayer and cry and say, look at my child. Look at what has happened to the image of my child. This is not the son I raised or the son or daughter I gave birth to. And that's a terrible end for man. It was not the end intended and it is not the end that God wants. He wants us to be a new creation. And for you to enter into that, you need to repent of your sin. Turn to God and be saved. God is a good God and will take you into his kingdom right now today if you repent. The last thing I want to say is that this end times church really should be the most powerful thing on the face of the earth. And I say that because of what it says in Genesis chapter 11 verse 6. God says, not man, but God says nothing would be impossible with men if he hadn't dispersed them and given them multiple language. Remember what happened at Babel. God dispersed mankind into the nations of the world. He multiplied their languages to confuse them because the intelligence level was getting so great that God said nothing will be impossible for man. That's incredible. Or maybe it's not incredible because man is made in God's image. Maybe it's not incredible because all, th I mean, God, all things are possible with God, right? And man is made in God's image. And God himself, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, says, if I leave this man alone, nothing will be impossible for him. So God puts the brakes on the intellectual development of the human race in Genesis 11. He scatters them. But guess what, folks? In the last days, the end times church is just fantastic. Because from every tribe, and most importantly, every tongue, the languages that confused our growth are now really spilling into one. And we now have churches where people from all nations are coming together with one language. We join ourselves together, not this time for sin, not this time to build a tower, but this time to build the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's who we are and this is our day. This is our identity. So you, man, and by the way, man is a generic term, you know. It, it applies to men and women like a tiger. You don't call the female tiger, you know, a female, male and female tigers are both the same. They're both tigers is my point. And men and women are both the same. You, you, you're, you're part of a species, a race. It's the human race. So when I say man is made in God's image, I'm talking about men and women, all of us. We have this chance for the image of Christ in these last days to be so powerful, so powerful on the earth. I believe the end times church will be international. And I believe because of that, 
it will be more powerful than any representation of the church, the image of God. Any representation of the church that has ever existed in history, even in the book of Acts. For the glory on the latter house will be greater than the glory on the former. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not want to miss that party. And so as a pastor, as a leader here, as, uh, with whatever influence and I can summon up within me, I will use that influence to pull together all nations for one great end times push to see the image of God restored to his church and to see the bride of Christ vibrant and resurgent in the world. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And, and you may want to go back over this in studies. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact me. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.